Let's play. theme park with extended family is the metaphorical equivalent of pulling one of those slinky toys, the one that used to be like a dog. Anybody remember those? I'm old! I remember them. Um, where you, well, you might remember from the Toy Story movies, even if you don't remember the actual toy itself, where you know, you're pulling it forward and the tail end is lagging behind and then you got to kind of wait for it to to pull and catch up and if you were actually a kid and actually experienced this you know sometimes it gets caught on something and you got to go untangle it and just trying to get it back together then you finally get the whole dog slinky dog toy back together and you start pulling again and the same thing happens over and over and over greetings from universal orlando Uh, I am uh, recording in my portable studio at the Hard Rock Hotel, uh, one of my favorite places to go. And if you go there, you will see all the D. Snyder memorabilia, which will designate favorite status. Um, Came down. My daughter, Cheyenne, is a Halloween baby. Cheyenne Jean, born on Halloween. And um, we, one of our favorite things to do for her birthday is to go... To, I know it's not Halloween yet, but I'll explain. But is to go to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Orlando Studios. And we've been going there. We've been coming to Universal since 1991, I believe, is the first time we came here. 1991. So uh, I was told there'd be no math, so you figure it out. And... Um, uh, and Halloween Horror Nights, again, we were trying to figure out how long we'd be coming to Halloween Horror Nights. Not, well, Halloween Horror Nights is celebrating its 25th anniversary. So I guess it was going on back in 91 when we first started coming here, but we didn't become aware of it till later in the 90s when we started to attend Halloween Horror Nights on a pretty regular basis. Uh, again, you know, our family loves Halloween. It's probably our second favorite holiday and uh, I shouldn't get too into Halloween broadcasting since they probably have a Halloween broadcast coming up for real um, I, and uh, but so Halloween Horror Nights it runs it's actually still running now for the month of October and uh, a number of times a week uh, they uh, in the evening they convert uh, the Universal uh, Park there's two parks there's there's uh, well, there's, there's um, uh, God, I'm forgetting the names now. I'm old! But uh, there's two parks down here, and one of them, the, the movie studio type one, they have, God, this year it seems like there was nine amazing haunted houses. Uh, and the, the, the special effects makeup is under the direction of a special, special effects makeup pro, Michael Burnett, who actually created Captain Howdy with me. Uh, and did the special effects makeup on that movie, amongst many others. He's he's worked on Friday the 13th. He's He goes back to working with Tom Savini, for you horror fans. He's one of Tom's students. So the qu- level of quality of the scares, of the of, and after 25 years, what they've done down here for Halloween Horror Nights, it's really cool. And it really tends to, it's really more of an adult experience and young adult experience. You can drag a kid with you. But it kind of harshes the mellow. Uh, you know an adult experience when they wheel the alcohol carts and jello shots out. Something you don't see rolling around during the day at a Universal theme park. Park, But when the lights go down, the jello shots come out. And the party begins. Um, so 
uh, and Cheyenne, uh, we, we, we missed a couple of years here. I'm sure the last time we were here, I think it was two years ago. Uh, but we, we've come, you know, pretty often. And uh, so we've come down this time, brought the whole family, but now the family is growing. So, you know, we started, it was me and Suzette and our four kids. Now it's me, Suzette, our four kids, their girlfriends and boyfriends, and our, their wives. My, husband, my son Jesse's married. His kids. All right? So it's a small army. By the way, um, moms and dads out there, you're wondering, well, that's great. The whole family spends time together. That's wonderful to hear. How do you keep, what's the secret to keeping a family together like that, D? Pay for everything. You pay for everything, they will be there. Say, hey, guys, we're going, uh, we're going on a trip to Yellowstone. Anybody want to come? Gee, Dad, gee, Mom, uh, we're a little busy. We're a little crazy. We're paying for everything. We'll be there. Suddenly, time means nothing when Mom and Dad are footing the bill. Let's keep that in mind, uh, moms and dads out there. Uh, don't pay for it. Yeah, you can, be, you, can, you can be doing a lot of vacations on your own. Um, but I'm not bitter. Uh, so we came down here. Now, we get here, and my daughter-in-law, who I adore, informs me, as luck would have it, her parents from New York, and they live in California, my my, uh, son and daughter and their children. So her parents are going to be down there visiting her father's parents, and uh, would it be possible... For them to join the party. Sure. You know, we, we've got 12 people already. So uh, what's, you know, what's 33% more? You know, and the age range is from a one-year-old to, you know, an 80-something-year-old. And that sort of really lends itself to mobility as well. When you're pushing two strollers and a wheelchair. Needless to say, and I adore my family, and I adore my uh, my my uh, you know everybody, and I, and I like my in laws as well, my my sons in laws, I should say, they're great people, but still, it is unwieldy. Hence, the imagery of pulling a slinky through, and I will say through narrow areas, because Halloween Horror Nights. A month of October lights this park up. Universal Studios, the Hard Rock Hotel down there, lights it the hell up. And add to that that this year they opened another Harry Potter theme section uh, in the Universal Studios section uh, instead of Islands of Adventure. That's the other park. So it's Islands of Adventure and is Universal Studios. They're both part of the whole Universal experience. Uh, they opened an amazing... I, you know, and and by the way, I, I'm not I, I'm not shilling. I don't have a, I don't have a horse in this race. Uh, I'm just sharing. Uh, expensive as hell. I will warn you guys. You know, this is you know you you've got to like you know, you know pawn your mother's your mother's jewelry or something for vacation down here. But that said, totally worth it. Uh, it is just incredible, and the, and it just seems to get better and better every year. This. The, the Harry Potter sections, even if you're not a Harry Potter fan, are freaking magical. The replication of the movie, bringing this stuff to life, is just stunning. And they and so whenever they open a new section at Universal, it just brings a whole, you know, it just packs the place out. So busier than ever this year. We're pulling our slinky through of a family through the park, trying to you know, tr- trying to get somewhere. Uh, torturous, torturous. Thank God for coffee and Jello shots for those who drink. Uh, but it's still worth it. Totally worth it. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of uh, ajna, as they say. You know, with a, the with, with any family gathering. There's always a lot of, you know, bumps and, you know, and, and, and awkward moments and things like that as everything grows and grows and grows. But what you're left with the end is some pretty amazing memories. And that's really, 
you know, and, and that's really the, the, the bad stuff fades, the dragging the slinkies, you forget it. That's why you do it again two years later, you know, uh, through the park, dragging a slinky through the park. But the memory of the laughs you had and the good times you had. And, uh, and we went to Halloween Horror Nights last night. And, and that is, if you've never done it, down here in Florida, it is literally a rite of passage. For, for young people, I'm not talking about little people, I'm talking about young, you know, teenagers, college age, you know, going to Halloween Horror Nights, it's like you got to go. It's an event, an experience. And, um, and they sell it out on the Friday and Saturday. I mean, that's 37,000 or 40,000 people. It's just, it's crazy. But it's just not just the, the eight or nine haunted houses they have, but all the scare zones in between. So you just immerse yourself in the park and the lights, the sounds, the sights, the people running around with chainsaws and the, you know, and the, and the, the axe murderers. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's not kid friendly either. We unwisely brought my six year old granddaughter last night. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it actually, Harsh as you're mellow a little bit, much as I love her, you know, uh, to have they give them a little glow stick so they can hold it up so the monsters don't scare you. But if you're in any reasonable proximity of the, the her, it's ruining because everybody's chilling. You don't want people chilling. You want people like running after you with a bloody mask on and a chainsaw and an axe. You know, that's the experience you want. Although I, I have a whole other issue when I'm down here because, you know, within the horror community, my Captain Howdy character from Strangeland, you know, not a big film, but definitely has achieved a certain cult status and has a certain respect uh, in within the horror community. So a lot of the a lot of the monster actors are kind of intimidated when they see me. So that takes <laughs> so when Captain Howdy walks in, they kind of like chill, like whoa, like. You know, a real monster just walked in. I'm just playing a monster. This guy was a monster. No, I was playing a monster too. I'm not a monster, people. Anyway, so I'm down here, and uh, I've got to record my show uh, before I uh, head back out west for a week. And then after that, it's off to Toronto for three months to uh, start rehearsing and performing my rock and roll Christmas tale, my musical, for the holidays. So I go from one extreme to the other, Halloween to Christmas. I love both holidays equally. So I'll write a scary movie like Strangeland and then I'll write a family friendly show like The Rock and Roll Christmas Tale. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very confused. Uh, but I would say, you know, uh, it's two sides of the same coin. So don't, uh, you know, never mistake kindness for weakness. All right. Um, today's show, you know, I was thinking about the form of the podcast. And what I like is the opportunity to express myself about things in a, in long form, you know, where I can talk about something without that, you know, uh, you have three minutes, you know, on CNN or you have five minutes on, uh, you know, on this show or, you know, it's wonderful. You get 15, 20 minutes on a radio show. That's a lot. But here I can truly talk about and explore subjects. I'm picking a hair off my microphone. Why is my microphone growing hair? Um, and um, there's a subject I've been wanting to talk about for some time, and I've never, ever been afforded the opportunity or the forum to truly express it, explain it, and talk about it, because it, it requires an understanding of the entire, the big picture, and that is my on-again, off-again, on-again, off-again relationship with Howard Stern. Those who are Howard Stern fans know that Howard and I at one time were very close. And, uh, and even though he doesn't speak of our falling apart, as a fr- our friendship falling apart, um, it has. Uh, and it doesn't exist anymore. And that's the thing about Howard. When he's uh, mad at you, he talks about you on the air. When he's really mad at you, it's like you don't exist. Yet, in his truly passive-aggressive way, he continues to play the best of with me in it. Um, he won't say that we're not, we haven't spoken in years and years and years uh, or that he's pissed off at me. But, um, but he is, and I want to talk about it because 
There's apologies to be made, and 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 things need to be said. And uh, I'm, today, I'm going to say them. Hey, everybody! There's an old way to buy a car, and there's a new way to buy the car. And by the way, the old way sucks. I mean, going into a car dealership, dealing with car dealers. Sorry if any car dealers are listening to the show out there. You're probably not after this because it's a nightmare. You feel like you're getting hustled. You feel like you're getting taken advantage of, even when you're not. There's so many corrupt salesmen out there that the good ones get overshadowed. We doubt everything. Well, guess what? Technology continues to evolve. Everything evolves. Really. You know, I mean, you know how long it used to take to make a baked potato? Like 45 minutes, right? Now you do it in two minutes, and you're tapping your foot, looking at your watch, going, when's it going to be done already? So as technology and innovation advances, it makes sense there's a new and better way to buy a car. It's called TrueCar. What makes TrueCar truly special and unique is their certified dealer network. This is where I was talking about the old way to buy a car, new way to buy a car. TrueCar is partnered with over 10,000 TrueCar certified dealers that also believe in a new way to buy a car. With TrueCar, you get guaranteed savings, and TrueCar certified dealers will honor the savings. It's that simple. You get the price online, and you go there, and they honor that price. There's no negotiation. They don't try to sell you something you don't want. You can now go online to find the fair price on a new car via TrueCar. Now, with TrueCar, you can see what others in the area have paid for the same car you're looking for, which helps you determine a fair price. Then you get a guaranteed savings certificate from a TrueCar certified dealer. Your savings will be honored by a TrueCar certified dealer without the need to negotiate. No hustle, no sales pitch. Done. TrueCar users save an average of $3,221 off MSRP. That means some save less, some save more. It's no hassles, no headaches. It's how car buying was always meant to be. Over 2 million cars have already been sold by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. There are over 10,000 dealers in the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network, so there's got to be one near you. You work directly with a TrueCar Certified Dealer contact. Visit TrueCar.com or download the TrueCar app and start saving. True car, never overpay. This is the only way to buy a car today. Hi, Howard Stern. I need to start at the beginning to explain the uniqueness of our relationship and it is unique uh to this day you know people constantly come up to me and say hey say hi to howard or love you on howard or whatever not realizing that i haven't had a relationship with the man in many many years um go back to 1985 okay 1985 oh thank you very much for telling me the time computer um 1985 and I am on top of the world. I've just come off our biggest album, our biggest um, tour. I have money. I have a house. Uh, I'm married. I've got my first kid. Uh, my dreams have all come true. I just did the Washington thing in September of that year. Uh, and you can only imagine you know, what Christmas is like as a rock star. Now when you've got money and you've got the means to express uh, your love and adoration for people, and vice versa. Uh, you know, this is when I this is when I start getting you know video arcade machines, which were popular in the '80s, as Christmas presents. You know, um, and uh, we are you know big. We're a big Christmas family, so it's the holidays, and as usual, we want to go into the city to see the tree at Rockefeller Center. Now I'm a rock star. Now I'm highly recognizable. And, of course, you know, I haven't learned how to lay low or, or be cool about it. I walk around with my hair out, platform shoes, wearing Twisted Sister colors, and wondering why everybody, you know, with a bodyguard, and wondering why, you know, everybody's, everybody's looking at me. Of course they're looking at you, asshole. You're walking around, you've got an entourage, and, you're, you're, you know, the parade just came to town. So I've since learned that, you know, pulling the hair back, a baseball cap, just walking around with the fam and being casual like I did in Universal Studios this week. And, uh, you know, yeah, 
People going, hey, wait a minute, is that? And you know, they come up and they go, hey, can I? And everybody wants a picture. And I simply say, hey, nice to meet you. I'm with the family. And they go, oh, cool, man, I get that. And they and 99.9% take it at that. A handshake, a hello, uh, and total respect for the fact that I'm not parading around with bodyguards all over. I've done that, by the way, too. Come to, you know, try to go through the theme park because there is a certain amount of baggage, you know, the slinky brings when it's D. Snyder pulling it. Um, but I've, I've tried the, you know, security thing, and that brings more attention. Look at these giants with, you know, wearing suits in the dead of the, in the summertime in Florida, you know, with radios, you know, and, and you're walking through and they're trying, you know, to be inconspicuous, cutting the line, you know, I mean, and it's just making it terrible. It no longer a fa- it's no longer a family, you know, uh, experience. It's, you know, it's the extent, it's, it's the security experience. So we don't do that. Besides, security is just protecting you from me anyway. Uh, so yeah, remember I said, never confuse kindness for weakness. Um, so, but at this point I'm still rock star guy and, uh, I, Suzette, me and baby Jesse get in a limousine and we go to New York city where back then, uh, you could drive, you know, they didn't have all this is, this is pre nine 11. So they didn't have all of that security issues down at, in, you know, in, at Rockefeller Center. So literally a limo pulls right up uh, by the tree, not you know, near the tree. where they, It's now closed off at that time of year, but we're not. Pulls up, and Suzette and Jesse get out of the car to see the tree. And I'm, you know, how does a rock star see the tree? Uh, he rolls down the window about two inches and peeks out behind his sun, through his sunglasses. So I'm peeking out at the tree. And my wife and child looking at the tree. Uh, it's terrible, by the way. Terrible way to experience the holidays. And my driver, who I knew, says, hey, do you know who Howard Stern is? I did not. 1985, um, I have been on the road now for years, and I am a vampire. You know, I am uh, you know, going to bed. I've been going to bed at, you know, 6, 7 in the morning and getting up, you know, when the sun's going down. So... I, Howard, being a morning guy, I absolutely don't know anything about morning radio. And I go, no. He goes, oh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's on the radio here. He's got a, a big show. I said, oh, yeah, he was talking about you today. I said, oh, really? What did he say? My driver, who knows me, he goes, um, he was talking about how ugly you are. To which I smirk. And I go, oh, really? I said, yeah. I said, well, my, th- my theory is say whatever you want. Just get my name right, which took Howard a very long time, by the way. He's called me Schneider for decades. Um, so uh, I, he said, yeah, Howard Stern is going to be on David Letterman tonight. I turn and look, and we are parked in front of 30 Rock. 30 Rockefeller Center is where the David Letterman, late night with David Letterman, was broadcast. I'd been on the David Letterman show at that point, so you know they knew me. Um, I said, really? And I look at the clock. It's 5 o'clock. This is when they film late night. They filmed it in the afternoon. I said, hey, you know what? Let's go give Howard Stern a taste of reality. So I get out of the car, leaving my wife and kid at the tree. I go walking in the building. Back then, again, this is before 9-11. So basically it's like, everybody's like, hey, D, what's going on, man? Come on. I said, I'm coming up, to, I want to, I'm coming upstairs with the, to, to late night. Oh, go on up, man. Going up. Head up there. I'm walking in. The minute I hit the floor, everybody's backstage, all the producers. Hey, D, what's going on, man? I said, where's Howard Stern? I said, oh, he's in his dressing room over there. I said, great. I walk over, go over to his dressing room. Kick open the door, and a, you motherfucker. Now, I'm like six. Howard's tall, but I'm big. And I'm wearing my, like, five-inch platform shoes, my big hair. I'm, I, I'm gigantic. So I'm like six, seven, six, eight at, at this point, plus my aura. That takes something as well. I look like I'm madder than hell. Look, my, when I get my face going, I'm like the Zuni fighting man. People remember that from that Karen Black films from years ago, Trilogy of Terror. I'm old. Okay. Anyway, but I come tr- there, and in the room is this black woman uh, and a couple of other bodies who I don't know, and two males, and Howard's this geek, geek wearing Wearing, you know, rimless, clear glasses, a little afro, 
a mustache. I think he had corduroy sneakers and a baggy T-shirt. And I go, you motherfucker. And I charge it. Now imagine you are on the radio in the morning talking about somebody in a derogatory manner. Several hours later, he kicks open the door to your dressing room, madder than hell, and charges at you, which I did, slamming him against the wall. Howard is wetting his corduroys. And then I start laughing. And Howard's like, what, you're not mad? I said, fuck no. Jesus Christ, man. I mean, you know, I make fun of people all the time. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, it's... Well, say say your worst. Trust me. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. Uh, and I continue to hear it all. Um, so Howard's like, whoa. So we start talking. Turns out we're about the same age. Turns out we, oh, and the people in the room, it's Fred, Gary. Um, I think Jackie's there. Actually, I think Jackie Martin was there too at that time. And Robin Quivers, um, who were all freaked out when I burst in. But then they're all like, Relax immediately because I, clearly I'm not pissed off. And we start talking, and we are, we're about the same age. We're both married. We both have a kid. We live on the, both live on the north shore of Long Island. We grew up in the town next to each other. Turns out we hung out at the same playground and used to see each other. Howard grew up in a black community, and I, and I grew up in Baldwin. The town next was like lily white. They had one white guy. We had one black guy. Um, so I would be playing, had big, my big, you know, split in the middle, part in the middle afro, brown afro back then, massive, playing paddle ball at Kozneck Park. And there was this really geeky, tall white guy, the only white guy playing basketball with the black guys. And we used to see each other. Oh, but he didn't have the small afro back then. He had really long hair. So that's why he stood out even more. He was really tall. The only white guy with the black guy had really long hair, and I had this big afro. And we would see each other, acknowledge each other, but didn't know that years later we, I would be Dee Snyder, he'd be Howard Stern, and we would meet. So we connect. We exchange phone numbers. Hey, this is cool. Let's hang out together. We just hit it off immediately. Okay? The next time I run into Howard, and I think we may have communicated a little bit, Twisted Sister is over in, and this is, this is pretty famous Howard Stern stuff, but Twisted Sister is over in uh, England doing the British Invasion for MTV. And on a night off, we decided, you know, we just went to a quiet restaurant called Break for the Border. It was a Monday night. We had off just the band, our, our security, our, produce, our, uh, our tour managers, and just went there to have a quiet meal until the door flies open and in walks Howard Stern, his entire crew, um, a film crew, and I think 25 listeners. He was doing a, a contest win, go with Howard Stern to London. He was broadcasting live from London with his winners. They come into the quiet restaurant club, and now you know, all, all bets are off. It's just the party breaks out. They've got a stage set up. The contest winners won by playing song parodies. So there's musicians. So we're on stage. They're on stage. During the night, things got crazy. This band, Six Six Sputnik, came in, um, not knowing who Six Six Sputnik is. Um, uh, while we're doing a jam, uh, one of them threw it was a, this was a Mexican place, one of those wooden taco bowls at Howard. Glances off his head. I drop the mic because this is a, this is my world here. I jump off the stage, go charging after this guy's climbing over tables, diving onto after Six Six Sputnik. They go running out of the place. They tear us out of the place. The next day, I go to do the Howard Stern show. I get a standing ovation, and Howard Stern has played this clip pretty often. I'm, there's, I'm, there's no lies here. If anything, I'm kind of playing it down. Um, and Howard declares himself as my bitch. He is, he's never seen, A, anybody stand, stand up for his, <laughs> fight for his dignity. Uh, I was just, you know, itching for a fight. And uh, B, you know, he's never seen anything like this. You know, uh, him being a person that sort of recoils from, uh, from confrontation. And me, especially at that time, being a person who goes, uh, who, who goes, and, uh, goes into confrontation. He's running out of the building. I'm running in. Um, so... At that point, our relationship as, as friends and as a regular on the Howard Stern Show, is the deal is sealed. 
when the tour winds down, that come out and play tour, uh, which we were wrapping up in Europe at that time, I go back home for an extended period of time, extended time off, and I become a semi-regular on the Howard Stern Show. Uh, I'm going on sometimes three times a week. And I would go to his, we lived near each other, I'd go to his house, and uh, i get there at like five in the morning, something like that. Five in the morning, um, ride the limo in with him, he meditates. He's a big uh, t- uh, transcendental meditation guy. And I would just sit in the car. We get there, and I do the show. And back in those days, it was like five hours. I'm talking about this is 1986 now. This is 86, going into 87. I am, you know, doing the show regularly, uh, speed there the whole five hours, uh, playing parties, is, you know, the Howard Stern birthday parties, any kind of event. Plus, we're hanging out as people. Um, our kids are hanging out together. Uh, my, our wives are hanging out together. We're hanging out together. We have become fast friends. And one of the first things I said to Howard when I saw him physically was, why do you look like that? I mean, remember, he has got, if you've seen any old pictures of him, it's, it took a lot of poetic license with the movie. You know, by 8045, Howard has his rock and roll look down. No. 8045, he still looks like an accountant. And I go, you're, you're on the air. You sound like a pirate, but you look like an accountant. He's like, well, how should I look? I'm like, well, Suzette and I will show you. And Suzette and I proceed to literally dress this guy, groom this guy, you know, get some sunglasses so your nose doesn't look so big, dude. Uh, you know, uh, you know, grow your hair out, man. What, what, you know, he's, you need it short for the job? You know, grow the hair. Rock it, man. I used to have long hair. Don't tell me how many people. I used to have. Fuck, I used to. Grow your damn hair. Literally giving him T-shirts, jackets, shit. Suzette would take him out shopping. Grooming him, dressing him. And this is something This is this is something he gives total credit to Suzette and to me, at least for that 80s look. Ralph came in in the 90s uh, and started to change him to a more grunge look, modernized look. And at that point, our friendship had uh, waned. At that point. Uh, so, you know, he, he went for a new look. But when he first started to look rocked out, we had classic Howard Stern look. That was all Suzette and D. Hold his hand and teaching him how to rock it. Rock star DJ. And really was kind of the final piece for him, giving him a look that matched his sound so that when he made personal appearances, there was a connection between how he sounded on the air and how he looked, you know. But be that as it may. We are great friends at this point. And Howard is the first person. Now, around 87, now 80, 80, 85, 86, my career starts taking a nosedive. Bad. Um, 87, you know, the last Twisted Sister album. Uh, tour ends abruptly. Uh, you know, I quit the band. Um, I'm going through a lot of changes. 88, 89, I'm going through my first bankruptcy. I'm starting to lose things. are really falling apart. And if you don't know the, the reality of, of my story, uh, read my memoirs, Shut Up and Give Me the Mic, um, and you know, it tells you the whole story. Uh, I fell tr- dramatically, tragically. I lost everything by the early 90s, everything I was starting over. And, but back to Howard, Howard is the first guy to acknowledge me and recognize that I have more to offer than a couple of catchy anthems. Now, mind you, you know, you hardcore fans out there screaming at, the, uh, screaming at your laptop, we believe that you did. No, no, I know. I know you guys are there. But the masses really just saw a couple videos, a couple songs, crazy makeup, and they wrote us off, you know? Now I did say when talking about the the, the you know the uh, the Senate hearings of the PMRC thing that the first time people started to look at me differently, and that was a subtlety. Here was a guy who thought was started championing me, and when my life fell apart, um, literally uh, went to and pitched me for jobs at radio stations because he thought I'd be great on the radio. Because I was great on his show, where I learned so much. Um, literally uh, getting me an agent, 
getting me a voiceover agent. It was because of his appearances on the show that voiceover people heard me and started showing interest in me doing commercials, commercial work, which I did. I mean, you know, I've done a lot of commercial work, but I've also by, I've, I've done uh, documentary narrations. I was the voice of MSNBC in like 2000. I was the guy going hardball with Chris Matthews tonight at 8 on MSNBC in the line of fire with Ashley Banfield tonight at 7 on MSNBC. You know, that was me. Um, so I've, I've got new careers. Howard championed uh, my Strangeland script. I say that the studio, the indie studio that made it, were huge Stern fans, and I think my relationship with Stern really helped put it over the edge. That and the fact that the, uh, the, the lead producer, Larry Meisterich's pet wolf, uh, didn't attack me uh, when I went to meet with him. Apparently, his pet wolf attacks everybody wearing, big guys wearing black, and his wolf just walked over to me and, you know, licked my hand. So, um, so anyway, but this is, I, I, I'm being, at this point in the late 80s, I'm being written off by everybody, and I've got this one stalwart friend who is, passionately campaigning for me, telling everybody this guy is worth more. And when my career fell apart and I went through a a moment where I said, you know, I guess you won't want me on the show anymore, Howard. Howard's like, what are you talking about, man? He goes, I get offered the biggest stars in the world. I'd rather have somebody on the air who's got something to say than someone who's a big name. It's all, he says to me, it's not about what you are it's who you know not who you are it's what you are i always get confused with that statement but you know what i mean he says i have turned days some some of the biggest stars have just been complete duds he says that's why i'll have it you know uh you know we have these the, 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 the what they used to call them the 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 whack pack these interesting characters they're not famous he made them famous but i'd rather have somebody interesting on the air than someone boring and famous so I continue to do the Howard Stern show, continue to get his support, and continue to have this great relationship with him. And, uh, and I love this guy for that. I love him for being a friend. I love him for championing me. I love him for believing in me. I love him. I will always love Howard Stern. Now, we moved in the 90s uh, after the first or second, but first bankruptcy. We moved down to Florida. And that was, uh, we disconnected Howard and me because I was living down there for a few years with the family. Now we each have three kids. Uh, we're still friends, but, you know, there's not that going to the show all the time. There's not that hanging out thing because we're not socializing. I don't move back to New York till like 1995. And I am in worse shape economically than ever. Come back to New York in hope of getting some kind of work. Uh, and trying to invent new careers for myself in radio, in television, writing screenplays. So I told you about all these things Howard did for me, but I don't, and when I come back in 1990, move down, I'm trying to think of the years, 91, it's like 94. I don't have any of this going for me yet, but I can't find anything. My career is just completely falling apart. Grunge is coming in. I can't get any work down in Florida other than day work. Uh, which I eventually wound up doing in New York, but that's, again, part of another story. And uh, I come back to New York, and now I am hitting the pavement, uh, again, with Howard's help, uh, going for audition, voiceover auditions, start booking voiceover commercials. That's, that started bailing me out. Radio work. I started, uh, uh, started uh, got my first, well, I, I did a, uh, a, my first radio show. I got an agent through Howard. David Katz works for Don Buckwald. Work, work for Don Buckwald, and uh, you know David. When I sit down with, him, I said, "Look, I'm looking to get into radio. Howard thinks it'll be great." He goes, "D, you sound great on the air. You're a natural, but you don't just walk off of a Coliseum stage into a six-figure or seven-figure radio job. You got to pay your dues." And I am on the balls of my ass at this point, and I am look. I am, you know, my music at this point grunge is in. I am, it's it's, it's or grunge is coming in. You know, my band's broken up. I can't get arrested. I had a band called Desperado. That deal went south. I'm just really doing. I said, look, I will do whatever I got to do, which totally impressed David Katz. And I went and got a Sunday night late night metal show. 
uh, on the east end of Long Island, broadcasting the fish, as they say. I'm on from like midnight to 1 a.m. or 11, whatever it was. It was late. And I'd go do the show. I did everything. I'd work with the, uh, you know, I'd, I'd speak to all the, the radio reps and the promotional guys. I would do every single aspect, engineering, programming, uh, everything on the show, all by myself, being paid literally next to nothing. The money I got didn't pay for the gas it took me to get to the radio station each week. But I go, I do it, and it winds up leading to me getting a show called The House of Hair. Now remember, Howard is the guy who got me the agent. Howard is the guy who campaigning for me to get work. So when the House of Hair first goes on the year air, and it's still on the air 18 years later, that's recorded the 938th show uh, this week, um, I have 35 stations. And the bi- one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest, is in Chicago. No, one of the biggest. Detroit was there. The amazing Riff, W-R-I-F, have been with me since day one. Some great stations, W-H-J-Y in Providence, W-I-O-T in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, some great stations. But Chicago is one of the biggest. And in order for me to get on the show, I need to interview and get with Man Cow. Now, I had been on the Man Cow show. Uh, and had a great time with the Mancow show. But Mancow was upset with me because I did not know, remember, I'm out on the road touring, that there was a war between Mancow and Howard Stern. When I was touring with Widowmaker, I had gone through Chicago, and I was doing the Mancow show, and Mancow said, uh, I go on the show, and he said, listen. Now, this is, <laughs> okay, this is where we disagree. He goes, listen. Do me a favor before we go on the air. He goes, um, I know you're friends with Howard Stern. He says, I'm a big fan too. He says these words to me. He goes, but please don't talk about him on the air. Now, this is just professional courtesy. You never talk about another person's radio show while you're on someone else's show. You just don't do that ever. So I'm, I'm like, hey, hey, Cal, of course, not a problem. You know, I would never do that. He goes, great, man. He says, I think he's great, but, you know, whatever. I, when I come back off the road, I go back to do the Stern show. This is the mid-90s now. And I hear them talking about Mancow. Gary's talking about Mancow. Uh, uh, and, I, and I said, Mancow, I'm always a big Howard Stern fan. And Gary goes, what? And I said, I just did Mancow. He told me he's a big fan of the show. I have no idea there's a war going on between these two guys. Well, Howard starts a campaign playing clips of Mancow trashing Howard Stern, and then finishing with it. Then why does Dee Snyder say that when he was on the Mancow show, Mancow said he's a big fan of Howard Stern? Well, they went, got mileage out of that with, with this war. And as it turns out, Mancow now went, is denying ever saying these words to me. I'm a liar, and is trashing the shit out of me in Chicago. So if I want to launch my show, I've got to go on the air and face off with Mancow. I go on the air, Mancow and his crew, and it's like five against one, and I go down there and hold my own. I do not back down from my position, but at the same time, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I also expressed that I, I did not know I was throwing a grenade. I had no idea they had this issue in this relationship. Uh, I wasn't deliberately trying to fuck him, but and and so you know, we went back and forth for a while, and Mancow, to his credit, said, "You know, you got a reputation." For I said, look, I said, Cal, I said, look, you've been shit talking me for a year in Chicago. I said, you've said every nasty thing you possibly could say about me. What a loser and washed up and hey, wannabe. Here's one for you, uh, you know, about me. And have I come after you? I said, I acknowledge that my words have caused you problems. Quid pro quo. I'm not going to allow you to defend yourself and go back at me for something I did to you. He goes. That's true. And I says, I hear you're, you're a guy who's known for going after people. I go, oh, yeah. I said, I would easily get on a plane and come find you. He goes, all right, fair enough. Agree to disagree. I'm cool with you having the show on the air. Okay. I get back home. And, you know, Howard and I, we don't talk every single day anymore. And we don't talk all the time. But I call Howard from time to time. And after like a third or fourth call, I realize Howard is not 
responding. So I call and I'm leaving a message and I'm like, hey, man, uh, this is like my fourth call to you. And you haven't called me back. I'm starting to think uh, something's wrong. Uh, are you not returning? And the phone picks up. And Howard, back in those days, it was that kind of you know, voicemail. We're old. He picks up and he goes, uh, I was, I've been mad at you. I'm going, you're mad at me? He goes, yeah. I said, why, why are you mad at me? He goes, you went on the Man Cow Show. Now, Howard had told me he never minded. He says, look, you're, years ago, he, said, he, says, he says, I don't care whose radio show you do. That's the way you promote your stuff. This is, you're an entertainer. You ha- I will never stop you from being on anybody else's show. Just don't not do mine. And that's a reasonable and fair thing to do. Well, guess what? Now Howard's starting to change. And Man Cow is his, you know, is a, is a, is a thorn in his side and a, an annoyance to him. And the fact that now his, his, one of his best friends is on the Man Cow show, which I had to do. I said, Howard, I, it was the only way I could get on, you know, to get my, launch my show. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize that. You should have told me. I said, well, I didn't know you were mad at me because you didn't tell me. This is, this is classic Stern. You know, you don't, he won't say it to you. He won't confront you. He'll just, you know, he just stops talking to you. And so, you know, tree in the forest. How the hell do you know? How am I supposed to know you're mad at me if you don't tell me? I just thought you just, you know, we're busy. So now I'm back in his good graces. Okay? So we're friends again. When I return, I will get into when we go wrong again and when we go wrong again. And why we're not talking. Well, he's not talking to me anymore because I love that guy. Everyone, please rise. Court is in session. Hi, it's Judge Janine Pirro, and I want to invite you all to check out my brand new podcast, Due Process with Judge Janine. I've got the background and experience to bring you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Join me and my co-host, Terry Trespicio, as we cover the hottest legal stories and breaking news. And remember... You do have the right to an attorney, and I'm giving you your due process. So be sure to download Due Process with me, Judge Janine Pirro, every Monday at PodcastOne.com. That's PodcastOne.com. So now Howard Stern and I are friends, and everything's back to normal. Okay. Howard continues to champion me, and I get offered... A morning show, my own morning show in Hartford, Connecticut, but it's in a Howard Stern market. So immediately, red flag, I go, all right, this is, I'll be going up against Howard in the morning. So I call Howard and I say, Howard, listen, I got offered a show, but it's in Connecticut. It's doing mornings. You're on, he goes, D, look, you got to do what you got to do. Those are his words. I said, listen, Howard, you are the reason why I have a radio career. You were pulling me out of, I'm going to get a six-figure salary out of, of this new gig I've got now. I'm coming back. He goes, I go, you're the reason. I want to give you a commission. You are the agent. Commission my show. 10% is yours. I wouldn't have it without you. He goes, D, I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I'm happy to do it for you, man. I'm like, well, I just, just know that how much I owe you, how much I appreciate what you've done for me, and thank you so much. I start doing my show. Howard stops talking to me. I don't know why he stops talking to me. Uh, I'm on my radio show in his market. I'm saying, listen, I say this straight out first day. I am a Howard Stern fan. Uh, everything I know about doing morning radio, I learned from Howard Stern. Uh, if, I was li- in, if I was living in this market, I wouldn't listen to me. I'd listen to Howard Stern. This is what I literally say. And I say, you know, I'm just trying to carve out my own audience you know 20 share is a huge number there are five 20 shares in every market so i was trying to find my own audience my own voice these Snyder radio launches and it's you know, people are referring to it as howard light uh a lot of the same sensibilities but without the lesbians and without the misogyny howard has a 10 percent female audience i have a 50 percent female audience i'm you know I'm, I'm trying to find my own mark i'm not trying to do how i'm not copying any of howard's bits uh, you know, but certainly the inspiration of the morning show format, I, I learned it from him, wa- sitting with him, watching him, uh, studying him, you know, and he's helped me build a career. But for some reason, Howard stops talking to me again. 
and I don't know why. And he can't have me on the air, but he's still playing my best ofs on his show while I'm on the air in his market in Hartford. And then in Richmond, Virginia, I was on in Richmond where he got uh, kicked out of, but I'm on in Richmond, Virginia, the number one show in Richmond. So cut to years later when I'm off the air in Hartford in Richmond, Bubba the Love Sponge comes in and uh, Howard uh, goes over to Sirius and decides that he and I'm going to be on Sirius Radio. He comes clean one day on the show and talks about him being mad at me and why he's been mad at me. Now, I have no idea because he's not returning my phone calls. Well, he says on the show that it's because I did the radio in, uh, in Hartford, in his market. Robin, who knows the whole situation, she goes, but didn't he call and ask your permission? And I said, yes, he did. And didn't you give it to him? Yes, I did. And didn't he offer you 10% of his, of his income? Yes, he did. And you said no. Yes, he did. He goes, then why should he not do the show and why should you be mad at him? He goes, well, he should have just known better. Well, everybody on the show, I mean, Fred and, and, and then it's uh, Artie. Artie was actually, Artie was one of the biggest voices of Thank you, Artie. One of the biggest voices of reason because he couldn't understand. He said, I can't see where this guy has done anything wrong to you. And yet you've spurned him and cast him out. <laughs> and Howard admits, well, I'm fucked up and I've got these mental problems. And, you know, and, you know, so now I'm back again. And there's a whole confrontation that came down with me and Bubba the Love Sponge, um, uh, where because Bubba took over my air shift and is trashing me on the air. Uh, and if and any of you listeners are serious, uh, Howard says if if Dee's going to be on serious, I need you and Bubba to to make the peace. So I go down there. Uh, they've got literally got security because the shit that Bubba Love Sponge has been saying about me. This is these are these are things you kill people for. And there's no reason for it. I'm no longer on the air, as Howard pointed out. Because he goes, because Bubba says to Howard, oh, well, you always do that. You always go after your competitors. And Robin goes, he's not on the air. We only go after people who are on the air, not people who are out or, or not broadcasting. You were just personal attacking this guy because I had a popular radio show. Uh, the reason why it ended was a uh, difference with management, not because my numbers, I had really good numbers in, in Hartford. And that's why I went off the air and they brought Bubba in and his numbers went to nowhere. As a matter of fact, in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the debate, because uh, I had security there, so it couldn't be a fight between me and Bubba, Bubba presents number, I present a letter saying that they wanted to hire me back. Uh, Bubba presents numbers of how bad my ratings were, which I pointed out were actually Bubba's own ratings. His producer had, had <laughs> his producer had printed out Bubba's ratings and brought them in as evidence of my bad ratings. They were Bubba's bad ratings. I mean, Bubba's show was so terrible, and I get along great with Bubba now, by the way. But in Hartford, I mean, what happened? He's replacing a really popular air personality, me. So it really, wasn't a fa- he didn't have a fair chance. People were so resentful that they took me off the air. I really was had like the number two show in the marketplace. Howard was number one, had 18 share. I had a 12 share, so I was doing great in the market. Had my audience, was finding my audience, and you know, so people were resentful. So it wasn't fair to Bubba. But Bubba brings in his own numbers to to condemn me, but winds up shooting himself in the foot with it. So now Howard and I are friends again. But at that time, now I already got, now I'm starting to get the idea of how this works. And I, I say my son Jesse came with me. And I said, and we're in the green room waiting to go in because it's like this big thing, you know, me and Bubba, the love sponge facing off. And Bubba comes in with his whole crew. I'm there by myself. I'm saying, let's go, you fuck. I don't need a fucking crew of people to back me up. Um, and uh, so anyway, I said to my son Jesse, who's now full grown, he's with me, and he goes, I said, son, this will be the tell whether or not Howard and I are truly better. And he says, what's the tell, Dad? I said, I, when I did the show, Howard always say, hey, why don't you stay around for the news? He would always keep me on for, always keep me on for the rest of the show, have me sit in on the news. I learned so much doing those news, newscasts with Robin and Howard and, and back then, Jackie Martling and Fred and, and Gary. What a great time. 
Stuttering John. I mean, the whole crew. I had such a great time back then. Um, I said, if he asks me to stay, we're good. If he says, well, it's great seeing you, D, and sends me off like, like a regular guest, I said, this is just this is just word, this is word service right here. This is just, you know, he's fixing it, but it's not fixed, fixed. I go in, have this huge episode with Bubba, which some of you may have heard on Best of Stern. It's pretty classic. When it finishes, well, D, it was great seeing you, great reconnecting you again. Uh, look forward to having you back on the show. Goodbye. And I leave. And I know damn well, this is the tell. And Truth be told, Howard and I, we don't have the same relationship. We, it's not where we were. And um, my career was derailed. In fairness to Howard, we were on our same trajectory back in the late 80s. But when the 90s came and my life career fell, his just kept going and going and going and going. And now he's divorced from Allison. He's hanging out with celebrities. He's dating supermodels. He's partying. One of the things we got along with, we didn't get high. Neither of us partied. Neither of us got high. We were married dudes. Now he's, he's, he's a living a single lifestyle. And I'm still married, dude. I'm still going home. We're not the same people anymore. It's understandable. But at the same time, something was lost. In relationships, something was lost. So now I'm at Sirius doing Fangoria Radio, a weekly show for a few years. And, you know, occasionally I'm doing Howard. And it's, you know, but it's, it's definitely not the same. But he's promoting me. Uh, you know, I'm promoting him. He's supporting me. I'm supporting him. And, you know, and it's social and it's cool. Uh, it's nice to be, you know, to, to, to have my friend back in some capacity. So Howard gets married. He's getting married. And in one of the episodes, uh, Robin asks Howard why he didn't invite me and Suzette to the wedding. And Howard goes, and now on the air, this is the passive-aggressive Howard, because Howard could say this on a phone to me. He goes, you know, I feel really bad about it. I didn't have enough room on the list, and, uh, you know, and I, I want to invite him. He goes, well, why don't you call him and tell him that? Well, I just feel guilty. He says, you can invite him now. It seems last minute, and now it's sort of an afterthought, and now it's insulting. So this is everything he wants to say to me. He's saying on the air, knowing full well, I'm going to hear about it. And you know what? We didn't know his wife. We only met her once, Suzette and I. When in any divorce, people you've been friends with couples and they get divorced, it's always awkward because we were friends with Allison too. So Suzette had this sense of loyalty to Allison that she felt guilty hanging out with Howard's you know, new girlfriend at that time, um, Beth. Uh, so you know, we didn't think a bit, make any big deal about it, and you know, and, and, and you know. Oh, we weren't really expecting, and Howard at this point is inviting all these celebs and stuff like that, and I'm really, I'm not back on top yet. So, you know, we, I got to get it, and so there it goes. I get interviewed for a magazine, a local magazine by a guy named Chauncey. I can't remember his last name, but some of you Stern listeners know Chauncey. Chauncey uh, was a sort of a, a Howard Stern regular who, I, unbeknownst to me, because I'm not listening because I don't have Sirius because Sirius when I want to check this out. They bring me on Sirius to um, to broadcast and they tell me I have to buy my own equipment and I have to pay my own monthly fees. But they want me to listen to those shows regularly. But I have to. I'm on the station. So just as a, you know, just like I'm not doing it just to make a point. I'm not doing it. So I'm not hearing the Howard Stern show anymore. So I don't know that Chauncey's had a falling out. I interview with Chauncey about something, and Howard comes up. Well, I sing Howard's praises as I'm doing right now, how much I love the guy, how much the guy's done for me, how much he's meant to my career, how much he's always been for me, how he's one of those few people who stood by me through thick and thin. And he asked me, well, are you bothered by the fact that you weren't invited to the wedding? Now, I will say that subconsciously now I realize that I was. It hurt me a little bit. I said on, on service it didn't, but it must have. And I said these words as part of an extensive interview. I said, I said no. I you know, said the same thing. I said, do you know, we really don't know Beth, and we're friends with Allison, and it's a little weird. And besides, Howard's socializing with people now that he wouldn't have given the time of day to 20 years ago. Well, that was the headline. 
That was the big thing. And Howard, it comes out, is a local paper. But the Howard fans online, they cheered me. Finally, somebody said it. Finally. And Howard sends me a terse email. Tell me how fucked up I am for saying something like that. And you know what? It was wrong. Flat out wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have said it. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, taken in context, it's, it's not nearly as bad as it came off. As it, but it was, it was not cool to say. He sends me a terse email telling me off. I immediately pick up the phone to call him because email's for pussies. All right? I talk to him. He won't answer the phone. I send him emails. He won't answer, he won't answer the emails. He won't respond. And, again, he's mad at you. He talks about you. He's not mad at you. It's like you, he's, he's, he's really mad at you. It's like you don't exist. And now I fall off the face of the earth. Again, for the third time. When anything comes up, and now my popularity is growing. I'm on The Celebrity Apprentice. When he goes through the whole list of, he's a huge Apprentice fan. He goes through the list of everybody on the show, and he gets to my name, and he goes, and Dee Snyder, everybody knows Dee Snyder. That's it. You know, uh, when I was in Rock of Ages, how, and, and, and Robin, who I've, everybody else, I still loves me. Robin goes, hey, a good buddy of yours is, is joining the cast of, of, of Rock of Ages. Who, John Stamos? No, Dee Snyder. Oh, I'm sure it'll be great. And that's it. Like, he won't take the bait. He won't talk about me. Still playing me on Best Of. But that's it. And that was years ago. He's never spoken to me again. And uh, it saddens me. It breaks my heart. Uh, he won't take my calls. He won't take. And, but you know what Suzette says to me? If he wants to go out with you again, you can't go out with him anymore. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, it's like another woman. He gets mad at you like a woman. He's, he likes you. Then he doesn't like you. He's not talking to you. And he won't tell you why. And then he tells you. That, then you find out why. And he makes up with you. And then he's mad at you. This is his third time. She says, you cannot, I love Howard D., but you may not go out with him anymore. So that's what my wife says. I don't know if I'll have the opportunity. So the, some people are saying, didn't I see you on, um, on uh, America's Got Talent a couple of years ago? Yeah. I get a call. America Ta- Got Talent wants me on the show. They want me to sing. We're not going to take it. It was one of, the, one of the contestants. I think, well, this is Howard's show. He's reaching out to me. This is passive aggressive. You know, like we won't talk about it, but I'm like, awesome. Of course I'm there. I'll pay my own way to get there. What are you kidding me? This is awesome. I get there the day of the show. They, they, they quickly have me pull up at a back door, sneak me in, and they go, it's a surprise. And I said, what's a surprise? You being here. I said, who's the surprise for? for? Your friend. Howard? This is the thing with Howard. Because he doesn't tell anybody you're mad, he's mad at you, everybody thinks we're still friends. They're still hearing me on Best Of. You people walk up to me on the street all the time. Nobody knows. We don't talk in years. In years. So I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, this is going to be a surprise, all right. Say, listen, we want you to sneak up behind Howard, tap him on the shoulder, and surprise him on the TV show. I'm like, oh, boy, which is exactly what I did. And what did Howard do? He was like, hey, big welcoming face. I go out on stage. I perform the song. He's the first one standing, standing ovation, sings my praises, cheering. I come off the stage. Howard's backstage. We see each other. We talk. We chat. It's like old friends, you know, small talk this, small talk that. We're walking away, and my manager goes, so it's finally fixed. You guys are together again? I said, oh, no, we're not. He goes, what do you mean? I go, not me, man. I goes, he would never confront me on this. I said, I know by the type of talk, it was small talk. It wasn't substantive. It wasn't, hey, man, give a call. It was no give a call. Let's get together. Let's have dinner with the girls. It was just, how are the kids? How's this? How's that? You look great. Blah, blah, blah. Gone. I said, I will never see him again. He said, oh, I, don't th- I think you're wrong. Get back. Try calling him. No answer. Try emailing him. No answer. I never heard from him again. I'm sorry, Howard, for saying those words. They were wrong. They were unfair. The two of us came up together. And the truth be told, if I had stayed on the same trajectory as you, we would be connected. We would, uh, we'd both be divorced, by the way. We'd both be divorced. Uh, we would have stayed together 
insipatico, whatever the word is, we would have been connected. Our career paths changed. You continued on. You went one way. I went another way. It was wrong for me to say those words in any medium. And it breaks my heart that a person who stood by me through, through it all, that I hurt in that way. So uh, he'll never hear these words. Uh, he'll never listen. He'll never reach out. He'll never acknowledge. He won't allow me to acknowledge. To acknowledge. And uh, But I owe that man a lot. All right. I told the story. That's all for this week's Snyder Comments. See you next week. Stay tuned for the latest AP News headlines from Podcast One right after this. AP Update, I'm Ed Donahue. We are learning more about the details of last week's deadly shooting at Umpqua Community College in Roseburg, Oregon. Prosecutor Rick Wesenberg says two police officers arrived at the school and spotted the gunman, Christopher Harper Mercer. They fired shots. And one round struck the shooter in the right side. Once the shooter was wounded... He entered the classroom again. He went to the front of the classroom, and he shot and killed himself. The plainclothes officers were not wearing protective vests. Wesenberg praised Detective Todd Spingath and Sergeant Joe Keeney from the Roseburg Police Department. They had little regard for their own personal safety, and they saved many, many lives that day with their heroic acts. Nine people were killed Thursday in the shooting at Umpqua Community College in Oregon. AP Update, I'm Ed Donahue.